Hey, Hill City Church, uh, so grateful that you are carving out time to gather around God's word um, together uh, with us. And so wherever you are, I'm so glad that you are here uh, right now. And so go ahead and grab your Bibles, either open them up, uh, turn them on, and meet me in Romans uh, chapter 10. Uh, last week, Pastor Matt did a phenomenal job uh, in Romans chapter 9, talking about the sovereignty of God. Uh, and so if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, man, I would just encourage you to go back, listen to it. Uh, he did a phenomenal job. I loved his joke about Nicole preaching suffering and then him preaching the sovereignty of God. And then right in the middle, I got to preach on the love of God. And I just want to say to you, I'm not sorry about that at all. I loved listening to those two messages and I love being able to preach about the love of God. Uh, and now I get the honor to kind of take us into chapter 10. So if you've got your Bibles, come with me. We're going to go to chapter 10. We're going to begin at verse 5. And here's how the Bible reads. It says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them, but the righteous based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, and that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, and that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? That the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, how then will they call on him if they, uh, if they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Look at verse 17, our final verse today. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Church, let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we love you. And we thank you for your grace and we thank you for your mercy. Lord, it's only by grace that we enter. It's only by grace that we can come into the throne room. We can come into the presence of God. And so, Lord, we don't take that for granted, but Lord, we want to take advantage of the access that we have. And so here we are. And so, God, we ask that your spirit would meet with us, spirit unto spirit, so that in the next few moments, Lord, you would speak directly to our hearts. Lord, a word, a clear word, a sure word, a true word, Lord, that would shape us, that would mold us, that would lead us into all that you have for us in the days and the weeks and the months ahead. We love you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. And we ask all these things. Amen. Amen. One of the things I want us to keep in mind is that as Paul is writing this letter, I'm always interested into what's on Paul's mind. What is he thinking about? What is informing his thoughts? You see so much of this letter, so much of this work to the Roman church that he provides to them is connecting back to the Old Testament. 
You see, a proper reading and an understanding of Romans requires us being connected into the Old Testament because what Paul is showing and what he's unfolding for this church is that Jesus the Messiah is the one that they had been waiting for and which the Old Testament prophets, which the Old Testament historical books or everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. What Paul does is he sees the Old Testament as just signposts. He sees the Old Testament as arrows pointing in the direction of Jesus. And he wants them to be reminded that, listen, to live by the law was a difficult thing. Might sound good that, hey, here are all the rules and regulations and follow these and everything's gonna be good. You remember that it even said to Abraham that his faith was accredited to him as righteousness. There was a sense that even in the Old Testament, as they were following the law, righteousness could be found, but it couldn't be found by the law alone. It's not enough for us just to know what is required of us. The law requires them, required, uh, would require us to actually accomplish and fulfill each of these places. The reality is this, is when you look at the law, it's a difficult burden to bear. It's hard for us to live up. It's hard for us to measure up. But then also when we think about this, what Paul's unfolding to them is the same thing that we're getting our minds and our hearts around. It's a message that Paul has said multiple times in this letter already. And I found myself this week as I was studying saying things like this, Paul, you've already covered that. Paul, you've already said that. And then it dawned on me, how many times have I not done the thing that I knew certainly? How many times have I not stepped into the moment I knew that I was supposed to step into, that I was very clear about, I understood fully, and yet still my understanding didn't lead into obedience or even lead to a place where I embodied the message, where I felt it in my mind, I knew it in my heart, and I embraced it with the totality of my life. You see, what Paul's dealing with is a church that's no really, really no different than you and I, where we can hear things over and over again, but we may not allow it to move past the hearing and into the embracing of our heart and our lives. And so even as we're moving through the book of Romans, I want you to be uh, sort of disciplined in when we hear a thought that Paul's sharing, it seems like for maybe the third or fourth time, Rather than dismissing it, let's ask ourselves the question, why is he emphasizing this again? Perhaps it's because it's pivotal. Perhaps it's because it's kind of a linchpin moment in our faith where we've got to get an understanding on this. I find more and more as I talk to people, more and more even as I consider things and wrestle with stuff, the reason why we have to be reminded of what salvation is and what it is not is because salvation is one of those things that we must continually embrace. It's not enough for us to know it once and then move on, but we must continue to embrace and know it. God is shaping, God is working to shape the right kind of living in us. That's what he's doing. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing, putting the right kind of living in us. There's no manipulation of the Messiah. What, what he says in the beginning part, there's no pulling God up. There's no bringing God down. It isn't this sense where we are required to move and manipulate anything. This is a different story. The word is in our mouth. It's in our heart. It's a confession. I love that word confession. And so what I want us to do is if you're kind of following along with me today and you're taking notes, and I certainly hope that you are, 
First thing I want you to write down, we're gonna deal with kind of two ideas today. And the first idea is simply this, the words in my mouth. You look at verse chapter, chapter uh, 10, verse eight, says this, the word is near you, it's in your mouth, and it's in your heart. And then verse nine, it says, if you confess, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, you will be saved. That, that's, that's what it is, friends. That's what it takes. That's the, the recipe for salvation, if you will. There's this part that we play. There are words in our mouth. Maybe you'd write it down this way, that an outward confession starts from an inward reality. Jesus says it this way in the New Testament. He says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So let's just stop here for a second. Think about the last week of your life. Maybe think about the last day of your life. And what were the words that were crossing the threshold of your lips and out into the world? Take an account for them. Weigh them. Hold them. Were those words telling secrets in your heart? Were those words communicating the genuine posture of your heart? The reality is this is oftentimes, I've done this and I'm certain that you have too. We've said something and when we, we followed it up with, oh, I didn't mean that. Well, the reality is, is you didn't mean to say that. You meant it, but we didn't mean to say it. Jesus reminds us that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so for us, the words in our mouth is directly tied to the condition of our heart. The words that we speak are directly connected to the condition of our heart, the purity of our heart. James says it this way, that the tongue, the mouth, that it is a restless evil that we must try to control. It says that we should not have a place where blessings are coming and also cursings are coming. That in this mouth, we should decide that this is either going to be fresh water or it's going to be salty water. And I, I, I don't want to be committed to using my words to build people up. I want to use my words to speak truth. I want to use my words not simply to encourage, but I actually want to speak life into people. But the only way that my words will speak life is if my heart has embraced life. Paul talks about this idea of confession. He talks about this idea of, of confession being a moment, a moment where we, where we come to the reality and we say, Jesus is Lord. We've decided to follow Jesus. So your confession is in moments. Your confession is also seen and it's on display in baptism. I'm so excited because our first baptisms as, as a church are happening this Sunday. All right, no, sorry, sorry, excuse me. It's happening this week uh, on the 22nd. So it's not happening on Sunday. It's happening on the 22nd. But hear me on this. I, I hope that if this is the stage that you're in, maybe you've confessed with your mouth, you believe in your heart. Now the moment is actually to move to a public declaration of that, to move from a place of where your words are now accompanied by action. And the first action that the Bible says to us that we're to do after we've committed to being a follower of Jesus, we've said Jesus is Lord, then the way that we show that is baptism. And so baptism is that moment where we are showing externally an inward change. It is a, a sign to all that are seeing. It's symbolic, it's mysterious, but it's also the place where your words become action. 
Listen to me. I truly believe that that baptism, that baptismal moment gives us motivation, courage, and energy to continue following Jesus. Because if following Jesus is an idea, you can be talked out of an idea. If following Jesus is an emotional response, at some point your emotions will subside. But if following Jesus is a decision that you are making mind, body, and soul, then at some point your words have to be seen in action. At some point, your words are confirmed by the actions of your life. And so I love the quote that we shared with Jesus where he says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I also really love the quote from, from the poet Maya Angelou where she says this, when people tell you and show you who they are, believe them, believe them. So we can use that from a negative standpoint, but we can also use that as a positive standpoint. When we say that we're following Jesus and I show you that with my life, I am inviting you to believe me. I'm inviting you now to know that this is more than just a moment. This is more than just a feeling, but this is something I am doing with my whole life. So confession for us is a moment. It's seen in baptism and then it's continual. It's continual, meaning this, we are consistently in our life being asked the question, who is your Lord? At every turn in our careers, in our families, in our emotional life, in every facet of our being, we are being asked the question, who is Lord? In that time and in that culture, they were confronted with the reality that the leader, Caesar, was walking around demanding that people not only identified him as Lord, but that they confirmed this with their actions and with their life. And the saying would would go like this. They would walk around and they would say to each other as a greeting, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. It is confirming on what side they are on. And so now you can see how subversive and how powerful this is when the early church begins at the same time saying, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. So you and I are in a very similar situation. We live in a culture that is demanding other things to be identified as Lord, taking center position in our lives, taking center sort sort of court or center stage, if you will. But what you and I have to resist is the temptation to proclaim something else as Lord. You see, for us, sometimes those things are are past hurts even. No one would like to think about that, but sometimes the things that you've gone through in your past, you actually elevate them in your life and you throne them. You have them seated on a throne and you end up bowing down to the things that have hurt you, to the things that have harmed you, or to the things that may have you felt trapped. And I'm just saying to you, Who are you proclaiming is Lord of your life? Take inventory, take a deep look, because here's the thing. Continually, we have to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. The difficult situations, yes, they're there, but they're not Lord. Yes, there's opportunity for us to maybe advance in our career. There's opportunity for us to start the new business. There's opportunity to take the next step. Yes, those opportunities are there, but please don't throne those ideas. Please don't throne those opportunities. And what I mean by that is don't make them the Lord of your life. Don't make them center and don't allow your identity to be tied to them. See, when Jesus is Lord, it means that I live from a posture that I am submitted 
to Jesus. You see, salvation isn't possible. It doesn't exist without lordship. When we see salvation talked about in scripture, it is not just the saving and rescuing you and me from our sins. It requires that Jesus is proclaimed Lord, meaning this, that we are submitted to Jesus. And so I wanna ask you a, a tough question. When's the last time that Jesus disagreed with you? When's the last time that your life was in disagreement with Jesus. And here's what I mean by this. If Jesus is Lord, it means he's not co-signing everything that you're doing. If Jesus is Lord, it's not that he is simply putting the exclamation point on all of your emotions. If Jesus is Lord, it does mean that we are conforming our lives to the way of Jesus. We are practicing the way of Jesus and we know that the way of Jesus is not naturally my way. And so for Jesus to be Lord, it means that I must dethrone things. And it means that I must realize that Jesus is seated securely on the throne of heaven. And most importantly, the throne of my life. I must profess him as Lord. This confession is a moment. This confession is seen in baptism. This confession is a continual. We are always recognizing that there's something competing for Jesus's place in our life, and we are not willing for a moment to take the title of Lord off of Jesus. Listen, if Jesus has just been Savior for you, you are missing the other part of the renovation of your life that comes in following Jesus. Yes, your sins are forgiven, but now your life is no longer directed by the wants and the wishes and the rhythms of this world. I'm now submitted to a king and a kingdom. Where do I get my purpose? Not from culture, not from, from people. I get my purpose from the king and his kingdom. And as we continue to read on, you begin to see how that kind of unfolds. So when's the last time Jesus disagreed with you? When's the last time you said this? I'm convicted about this, meaning this, your convictions aren't shrinking, they're actually strengthening. See, as we're continuing to follow Christ and as we're moving into deeper levels of holiness, we should be experiencing the freedom of Christ and that doesn't mean we get to do more of the things that we want to. The freedom in Christ means that I'm no longer bound by my sin. I'm no longer bound to my own way of thinking, but I'm actually submitting my life to the Lord. When's the last time your convictions increased? Yeah, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna be a part of this. Because you knew that the Lord was calling you to a deeper place, a higher place, a more truer place. Not a place of being better than someone else because oftentimes what we do when we think about holiness and we think about sanctification, we think about these things in terms of competing with the people to the left and to the right of us. And what I would love for us to do is to begin thinking about the invitation for our convictions to increase as an invitation for us to deepen our personal intimacy with God. Not 
competing with someone else or because someone else's life looks this way, then my life can mirror that. Listen to me. The freedom that comes in Christ is the freedom for you and I to be fully submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. And whatever the Lord saith unto thee, do it. Whatever God whispers to your heart, do it. Whatever the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the scriptures, do it. But let's be committed to have our lives looking more like Jesus, to allow Jesus through the scriptures and the spirit to disagree with us, to convict us, to check us, to rebuke us. Listen to me, friends, we need that. We need a good checking every now and then because if not, then we end up placing ourselves on the throne that Jesus is to occupy. And we might have thoughts about Jesus, but we're not necessarily submitted to Jesus. The second idea I want you to kind of write down and, and consider with me today, not just the words in my mouth, but also the words uh, in my ear. Verse 17, a powerful verse. I love it so much. It says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Philippians 4.8, if you maybe would write that down and look at it later, Paul says this to the, the church in Philippi. He says, listen to me, whatever's good, whatever's pure, whatever's noble, whatever's just, I want you to think and center your life on these things. Listen, there is a invitation for us to listen and consider information at a, at a capacity that maybe has never been before. There, there is never a time that you and I cannot access information. We walk around with computers in our pockets. We are so connected. It's so easy for us to listen and hear so many things going on. And I'm just saying to you, there is this challenge to us that we need to consider. There is this sort of, maybe it's even a, an alarm to us. And that we're to think on things that are propelling us towards Christ. I think sometimes we live our lives and we wonder why we can't hear God and we wonder why we don't feel close to God and we wonder about all of these sorts of things. And I'm, I, I am convinced that oftentimes the really reasons that we don't feel near to God or the reasons we feel like we can't hear God is because we have cluttered our life, we've cluttered our soul with so many other voices. We've cluttered our, our, our lives and we're listening to a lot of different voices that may not be pulling us and leading us and guiding us in the way of Jesus. And so I think Philippians, when Paul says that to that church, that's a wonderful reminder. Here's a question to ask ourselves: If our faith is increased at hearing, listening, then who or what are you listening to? What voices have the greatest impact in your life? i never forget when I, I had a, a friend of mine and he said this, and it's been something I've adapted in my life. I don't listen or take advice from people whose lives I don't want to emulate. Meaning this, if your life is in disarray, I'm probably not going to take advice from you. Doesn't mean I'm not going to be relationship with you. Doesn't mean I'm not going to be a friend of yours. But what it does mean is I'm not going to listen or solicit advice from you on how to live and structure my life if I see your life sort of in shambles. But, but how many of us may take that approach 
And yet we still are filling our ears and then subsequently our heart. And if our ears are receiving the word and our heart is holding on to it and that our mouth is confirming that, what are the things in which we're listening to? Is it strengthening your faith? Is it strengthening your trust and your dependence on the Lord? I think one of the beautiful things that we can all take advantage of right now is the ability for us to listen to the Bible being read to us. Some of you might have missed out on that as a kid where you didn't have parents that maybe were available to read to you. I'm just saying to you, there's just something powerful about reading the stories in the Bible, reading the scriptures and hearing that out loud. Faith comes by hearing. What would it look like maybe for you to take a few minutes each day? And in the Bible app, you would allow it to read the scriptures to you. Maybe you're doing that while you're working out. Maybe you're doing that while you're driving. Maybe you're doing that as the first thing when you get up, you're hearing the word of God. Listen to me. I love worship music. I know some of you, you love worship music. You listen to worship music all the time. Please don't ever get into a place where you're substituting hearing the scriptures for listening to music. It's not that music's a bad thing. It's not that that worship can't lead you into the presence of God. But again, at some point, the inspired word of God has to get into us. And what Paul's saying in at the end of this passage, what he's saying at the end of chapter 10 is he's really accentuating the power of preaching the gospel. What takes place and how the Holy Spirit uses preaching of the word. It uses, the Holy Spirit uses these moments, preaching the Bible, preaching the scripture, preaching the good news to begin to bring conviction on people's hearts. And then their hearts are transformed. Listen to me. I think it is one of the most beautiful mysteries that the Lord would use the words in my mouth and that the Holy Spirit would come alongside and then people would come to know Jesus. It is one of the greatest joys of my life to participate in the activity of the Holy Spirit and people coming to a faith in Jesus because they heard the gospel proclaimed. Now, please don't fall into this trap where you think that proclaiming the gospel is someone else's job. Hear me on this. Proclaiming the gospel is the job of the church. And I want to call you and commission you right here and now to be preachers of the word. Preach the word indeed. Preach the word through your actions. Absolutely, your emotions, your your posture. Preach the word and all of that. But please don't ever underestimate the value and necessity of using your words to tell the good news. Use your words to speak the gospel to people. How will they know, verse 14 says, how will they call on Jesus? How will they call upon the Lord? in whom they have not believed, if no one is telling them. Listen to me, please don't be dependent upon someone else's voice when God is calling and asking you to be that voice. God commissions, this is what Paul talks about. God commissions them, God sends them, and they begin to do this work. Here's what I want you to do. Ask God if that is what you're supposed to be doing with your life. Ask God how and when and where he wants to use you to tell the good news to those around you. And where do you start that? The Bible gives this beautiful sort of picture. You started in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You started in your life and in your home. And then you started in your family. 
And then you start it in those that are around you, the circle of influence in which you have. And then you begin to move out from there. Many people think that the calling to tell the good news, the gospel story has to begin at the ends of the earth. And you say, Charlie, I'm not called to be a missionary. Cool, neither am I. But we are called to preach the good news and share the good news in our families. And what would it sound like if your house became a place that was proclaiming the good news and the truth that Paul's unfolding for us here in Romans? In Romans, What would it look like if before you left for work each day, your house was reminding you, your friends were reminding you, your, your, your family, they reminded you of, man, hey, keep Jesus on the throne. Keep your heart pure so that your mouth will speak the things that you truly are, are feeling and you're wrestling with. Like, what would it look like if we were encouraging each other to, to live this life of Christ out where we were doing this in each part of our life? You see, the, the truth of this is when we, when we look at our life and we recognize that in the words of my mouth are the meditations of my heart. And what ends up in my heart, what ends up coming out of my mouth is probably, and it is directly connected to the things in which I'm hearing. So I simply want to ask you this. What are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Are they leading you closer? Are they taking you away? Some of the voices in your life have, have been damaging voices. Some of the voices in my life have been voices that would even create barriers between me and other people, between even me and God. And I just want to say this to you. Identify the voices in your life so that you can begin to turn their levels down. So that our ears can be attuned to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Church, my prayer for us is that we would continually speak the things that God puts in our mouths, but that we would also tune our ears to continually hear what the Spirit is saying to us. Grace and peace, church. We love you so much. Thanks for joining Hill City at Home today. I hope this message encouraged you. I know it challenged me just to really be looking at our actions, what we're hearing, what we're feeding into our souls. And if there's ever anything that we can do to help you along on your next steps, please feel free to reach out to us on the website. Church, have a great week.